Hi, my name's Jamie. I'm 26 years old and I have a question. I'm a huge advocate for young people to start saving into their pension as soon as possible. I recently switched jobs and in my last role, I was really proud to get my pension contribution up to 10%. However, in my new job, when my pension was set up, I asked for my contribution to be higher than the legal minimum. But they weren't too keen on me doing this because of a matter of paperwork. Should I be now putting some spare money into my combined pension that I have from some of my old jobs? I do feel the pressure of not paying enough into my pension as a woman, so I do really appreciate your thoughts. Hello, I'm Emily Bellet, founder of Vespod, author of You're Not Broke, a pre-reach, and you're listening to the Wallet Hotline. Today we answer a question from Jamie, a 26-year-old who is passionate advocate for young people getting an early start on saving for retirement. Having recently started a new job, Jamie wants to increase how much she pays into a workplace pension. However, her employer is hesitant due to the perceived admin involved. She asks us how to move the conversation forward and what other options are available to her. To reply to Jamie, I invited financial advisor and founder of Ladies Finance Club, Lisa Conway-Hugh. Lisa is passionate about making financial education open to all and loves taking the jargon out of the financial world. She's also the author of Money Lessons. And today she's joining me to provide an overview of workplace pensions, how they work, how much can you save each year and the benefits of opting in. It's a common concern that the state pension won't be enough to support us in retirement years. So Lisa walks us through the different private pensions available and how to get grips with planning for our future selves. Remember that if you'd like to participate in the wallet.line, share a proud money moment with me or your recommendations and comments on past episodes, you can send me a voice note at emilyatvespot.com or follow the link in the show notes. We'd love to hear your proud money moments, questions and comments. I'd also just like to say a quick thank you to our sponsor, PensionB. PensionB has helped over 500,000 customers be pension confident. It enables savers to take control of their finances by helping them transfer their old pensions together into one simple online plan. With PensionB, you can manage your pension like you manage your bank account, check your real-time balance, your projected retirement income, and set up contributions and withdrawals all from the palm of your hand. Plus, you'll get human support from your very own UK-based account manager, or as PensionB calls them, Big Keeper. You can sign up to PensionB today with the name of your old pension providers in just five minutes. And if you're self-employed, you can start a new pension from scratch. As always with investments, your capital is at risk. Please note that we are not certified financial advisors, and the articles and information made available on Vespod and this podcast are provided for information and educational purposes only and do not constitute financial advice. Hi, my name is Jamie. I'm 26 years old and I have a question. I'm a huge advocate for young people to start saving into their pension as soon as possible. I recently switched jobs and in my last role, I was really proud to get my pension contribution up to 10%. However, in my new job, when my pension was set up, I asked for my contribution to be higher than the legal minimum. But they weren't too keen on me doing this because of a matter of paperwork, saying it could be difficult to set up as most people do just contribute the minimum. Should I be now putting some spare money into my combined pension that I have from some of my old jobs? Or should I just go back to them and ask for them to increase my contribution? I do feel the pressure of not paying enough into my pension as a woman, so I do really appreciate your thoughts. Hi, Lisa. Hello. 
How are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for asking me on. No, of course, I had a, a burning question for you. You know, it's the hotline episode today. <laughs> and I was like, I want to talk about pensions. Who want to share? <laughs> you want, who want to share the mic with me and talk about, yeah, women and, and pension. And you've just heard this question from, from Jamie. She wants to increase her pension contribution, but her employer is saying, yeah, maybe not, like sort of procrastinating. And, you know, we, we discussed that offline, but we're like, what? Sorry, <laughs> we can do something for you. So I thought we will take a step back and talk a little bit about, you know, what are workplace pensions, maybe state pension and how we can get started. So if we could start by just talking about what are workplace pensions, that would be um, super useful. So I think in a few sentences... The things you need to know, the, the companies now have to pay into a pension. So you pay in, the government gets you some tax relief, and the employer also pays in. And so the, the amount that's committed to go in is 8% in total, and 5% of that is your contribution. So Jamie wants to be extra keen and do double, which is um, her employer is not allowing, presumably from the extra admin. So normally employers are quite keen for you to pay in more and allow you to do that flexibly. And the idea really is you can, and, and you can take advantage of something called salary sacrifice. Shall I just explain what that means? Yes, please. Because I think that's something really important to understand. So salary sacrifice is a benefit that, when when you pay into pension, you get tax relief. So if you're a basic rate taxpayer, you will um, pay in 80 and the government pays in 20. If you're a high rate taxpayer, you pay in 60 and the government pays in 40. There's a bit of, um, maybe you have to do a tax return. But if you do it via salary sacrifice, the money goes into your pension before it's even got paid to you. So it goes in before you pay tax and before you pay national insurance. So there's a national insurance saving to you but this might be an argument for Jamie because there's also a national insurance saving for the employer of over 13%, 13.8%. So if the employer is worried about the extra admin costs, they could save that just on the national insurance saving or maybe on the national insurance saving. Yeah, so it's a benefit for, for, for both of them. And I think, you know, Jamie is right. I mean, whether you save, you know, using your sort of pension wrapper or, you know, stocks and share ISA, or there's other ways to save for your, your future, but very important to yeah, invest because the money you have in your pension is going to be invested in the stock market, in a, in a collection of different funds. But Lisa, can we just take a step back and can you tell me, you know, why do you need sort of a private, private pension? So workplace pensions are private pensions. And why can't we just rely on the state paying us, you know, a nice pension for when we retire? Because we've been working so hard and we've been paying our taxes. And, um, and in some countries it works this way. But, but I guess it's maybe the end of, you know, the government paying for, for your future. So can you talk a little bit about the state pension, please? Yeah, so the state pension at the moment, you need to have done 35 years of national insurance contributions to get the full state pension. And rounding numbers up, it's about £9,000 a year. And it's taxable if you're in a tax bracket that should be. So it's not going to get you a great deal. It depends on what lifestyle you want. But also worryingly, the FT did an article this weekend just gone where they interviewed people in their 20s and half of 20-year-olds don't think the state pension's going to be there anymore by the time that they get there. And I almost feel that now. I'm 40 and I worry, will it really be there? Is it sustainable, um, especially at its current rate? So in my mind, I pretend I'm not getting it. I plan as if I'm not. And then 
that will be some really nice holidays if I do get it. Yeah, it's your little uh, top up, but we should really think this way. Like I have my, you know, strong part, which is my private pension. And then if I get my set pension, you know, that's, it's good. Coming back to workplace pensions, what are the main rules? Because Jenny wants to increase, obviously, her, her contribution. So what are the, you know, the maximum amount of money you can save in a year or in a lifetime? And are, do you think these are going to change, uh, you know, in, in the future? Because at the moment, the government has been, you know, quite generous with uh, with workplace pensions. So the rules, let's start with the rules. So you can pay in £40,000 a year gross between you and your employer and the tax relief. Um, but you can only get tax relief up to the amount that you've paid. So if you've earned 20,000 and you put 40,000 in your pension, you're not going to get all that tax relief. So it's up to the maximum of your earnings usually. There's a small rule of thumb though. If you um, earn over 240,000 a year, which lucky them, but for those that do earn over 240,000, the amount that you get starts to decrease all the way down to 4,000. So if you're a high earner, you do need to check the amount. Um, and also what a lot of people don't know, you can go back for the last three tax years and pull forward any unused allowance as well. So if you're feeling really keen or you've got a nice lump sum that you don't know what to do with, or you get a bonus, you can use the, the unused allowances from previous years. And then you also have a lifetime allowance. And I know for, you know, people who have been earning a lot of money. So, you know, it's just good to know in case. Yeah, the maximum is just over a million at the moment. And that's really drastically decreased uh, over the last decade. It was never really a planning problem. And now it feels like when, when I'm dealing with clients that most of them have a lifetime allowance problem that we need to try to plan around as carefully as possible. But yeah, a million pounds. And most people think, oh my God, I'm never going to get there. But if you think about it, if you can take four, if you should be taking 4% of your pot every year, if you want it to last forever, if you've got a million pound pot, that's 40,000 pounds a year that you're taking from it. So it sounds great to be a pension millionaire, but it's not necessarily giving you a millionaire lifestyle. I know. And that's, I mean, these numbers are really scary. And for, you know, if you're listening today and you don't know where to start, and if you, you know, are not working yet with Lisa, a financial advisor, just start with pension calculator online, retirement calculator, and, and, and take a look at your own numbers. That, that can be a bit scary, but at least you know and, and, and you understand that you, you usually need to save a lot more maybe than, you know, the basic 8% with auto-enrollment. Do you have any tips for women to understand how much they should be saving? Well, there's a general rule of thumb that always gets wheeled out when, you ask, when I'm asked this question. And it is just a rule of thumb. It, there's so many other variables, but most people don't pay in enough. So if you take your age... I've already declared that I'm 40. So take your age, divide it by two, that would be 20. So I should be putting in 20% of my income every year into a pension. But like you say, those pension calculators will really help you to project forward. But also if you feel you might have left it a little later than you would have liked, there's lots of other things you can do. Obviously you can pay more in if you can manage to, but you can also address your risk. Are you taking enough risk? And could you potentially take some more if, if you want to make, to make up that shortfall, it doesn't just have to be about paying in. It can be trying to get investment growth to make some of that shortfall up for you as well. Yeah, so customize really your, your investment portfolio and, and yeah, potentially take more risk to have, to have a better return. And it's also trying to think about the lifestyle you want in retirement because 
this is maybe based on how much you earn today, but really trying to think about, you know, who you're going to be in retirement, try to think about your life, what you want to do. And this will help you understand how much money you need. Exactly. And without freaking people out, because people's natural reaction is, well, I won't need as much because I'll have my mortgage paid. But actually, the reality is you're on the eternal weekend. So do you spend more in the weekend week? And and what kind of lifestyle do you want? Like usually I find that in early retirement, people are spending quite a lot because they're doing lots of traveling. They're doing all those things on their wish list. And then middle retirement is quite cheap. It's the cheapest part of the retirement. And then sadly, the the last part of your life usually is the most expensive, especially if you're thinking about care home fees and things like that. So you tend to get different different outputs at different stages in retirement. And do you think women need um, actually more money in retirement? I mean, we, we tend to live longer, uh, so that's going to be quite an expensive life, I guess. Exactly. We tend to live longer, but also we tend to get ill more often. So we don't get the serious full-out heart attack, but we do tend to get ill more regularly than men. So that can also mean that um, retirement can be more expensive for women as well, not just the age. But shockingly, the pension gap is 51% right now, according to some recent research by Fidelity. So we're heading in the right direction. We're, we're making small steps, but it's definitely not changed. I think the average man pays in 5% into the pension, the average woman pays in 4%. So that seems small, but men are paying in 25% more than the women are. And that compounded over time has a really, really big impact and and also I think a lot of people don't realize that when you're not earning you can still pay into a pension so if you're say the stay-at-home partner and you're and the other one is working the working one can pay into your pension for you and you can pay 3,600 a year gross and that's a really important conversation to have and I had it with you know my, my partner but for some people they're like wow this sounds like crazy you know <laughs> but actually you're a team like you're doing that together and I think this conversation around yeah supporting your partner when they're on maternity leave that will you know help us sort of close this like motherhood penalty and also try to think about you know how you integrate the cost of childcare so in this conversation and it shouldn't be only the women paying for 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 childcare, but you know, doing together, <laughs> or, or those, who, or, or if one of you is earning more, just pay for childcare, and then the other one can continue working if 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 they can. I mean, that's of course a very privileged situation, but you know, it's it's good to have these conversations. Yeah, and and I also think that the good thing to remember too is that there's nothing more infuriating to a financial advisor on retirement if someone gets in touch with you and let's say stereotypically the man's got all the pension the woman's got none because all that means is in retirement the man's going to pay loads of tax and the woman's not going to take advantage of her allowances so having that spread between you as a couple is really important for controlling your tax in retirement as well that's really good <laughs> um, and now if we come back to Jamie so Jamie is saying okay she wants to increase her pension contribution what happens is usually people uh, can have also like previous pensions uh, with previous employers so they can think about potentially like, consolidating their, their, their pots depending on the type of pension they have depending on you know the benefits associated with, with their pensions Usually you are not able to pay into a previous workplace pension if you've left the workplace, but you can also have like a private pension. One example is maybe a, a SIP. So can you explain a little bit about how can you have different pensions 
and, and why and, and maybe you know is it better to consolidate and, and how do you organize sort of your, your different pensions yeah so you can have a collection of pensions if you like you can have as many as you want and you can pay into as many as you want at any one time it, it's up to you the government doesn't want there to be a barrier to paying in a lot of people want to consolidate but whether that's the right thing or not is really down to the numbers so consolidation it, the benefits are that you have less admin and <laughs> the less admin you can have on a pension front the better but also for example a regular person would have 25% tax free cash in their pension but i recently done some pension analysis for a man who's got 89% tax free cash and so if he moved that pension he would lose that tax benefit. Yeah. So before you move anything, you want to find out, are there any guarantees and have I got any protected tax-free cash that I would lose if I were to move? So assuming you didn't, so assuming they're all regular pensions and you wanted to consolidate, it's just simply comparing the costs of all the pensions, but also comparing the investments that are available to you. So for example, let's say you're really wanting to invest your pension ethically and sustainably but your pension provider only gives you two funds to do that and they're both heavily UK, then you might want to shop around for a pension that suits your needs better. But if you've got a reasonably cheap pension and it's got loads of investments for you to pick from, then that's probably a good compromise. So for anyone who actually you know, don't have a pension, um, I guess they can open you know, a personal pension. So there's lots of platforms online, but for you, what would be like the you know easy step if if they don't necessarily have access to a, you know financial advice? Yeah. Well, when you're starting out, the pot's going to be really small unless you're going to be whacking in massive contributions. So the key the key driver for a starter pension, if you like, is costs, costs and cheap investments, cheap and cheap and good, ideally. Um, and so you and that want, exists. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> it does exist. I'm not allowed to recommend providers, but a place where you could go would be something like Compare the Platform, Times Money Mentor. They've got a really good, easy to understand tool of which pension would you, you could look at. It's it's literally about you know getting started, building confidence, and then then working on your portfolio and try to change your you know asset allocation and stuff like that. Exactly. You don't need to be a pensions expert to start one. Start one. Let them do the hard work for you, and then if you are interested, you can then start to invest on your own once you've got it going. But most pension providers will have a let us do it for you option, and you can just click on that. They'll be the investments that you're in. And then you can learn through what they're doing. And, and eventually, if you want to, take over. Yeah, and, and I think it's a great way. I mean, you know, you could have a workplace pension, but you could also have like a more personal pension, DIY pension, if you want to, you know, sort of start researching your investment, if you want to buy, you know, some single stocks, if you want to take more risk, maybe you can do that also. And that's, you know, that's one way to also diversify your, your investments. Just for Jamie, who who's going to have this conversation with her employer about, you know, increasing a contribution, if you have a few tips on, you know, how to take the conversation and start the conversation and, and maybe who she should speak to, maybe HR? Or... Yeah, I would speak to HR to start with, because the reason they're not doing it is presumably the admin, but the pay, payroll will, can automate that. Surely it's just a change in, in the system once that then automates that. I would speak to HR. I would mention the, the employer national savings 
that they would be making. But also, I think if anybody listening is an employer, it's our responsibility. Our employees are our responsibility. We've got to give them, I think morally, we should be allowed, we should be giving our um, staff the best pensions possible and therefore being able to contribute. So is this an indication of the wider culture at that company? And also when you talk to your employer, it's worth checking that they may be matching your, your contributions. Is this something that you often see and, and how does it, uh, does it work? So everybody has to do that um, five plus three. But then you do see some very, very generous pension schemes out there. I've had a lady on a call this morning where whatever percentage she puts in, they'll match. And so up to a maximum of 10. Exactly. And so she puts in 10%. They're going to put in 10% for her. Probably the most generous schemes I've seen there, If you, for every one you put in, they'll put in two. They're not so common <laughs> anymore. <laughs> It's something worth checking when you change job or you go for a salary negotiation. If you can't get cash in terms of, you know, having a higher salary, maybe you could have, you know, a nice top up of your, you know, pension. That's a win. I mean, it's like free money. You you definitely shouldn't leave on the on the table. No, exactly. And and it can be a negotiating point. And I think it's as you say, if you if you've got two jobs on the table, one has yeah. got an amazing pension and one doesn't, then maybe the one when you consider everything together is probably the better proposition. And and I do believe that a, a, an employer that cares will offer a good pension. And so it could be a sign of the culture that you're, you're going into. I agree with you. Just like salary negotiation, when you can't get what you want, maybe it's, you know, wondering, is it the right place for me? And lastly, once you have your pension and, you know, you already have your workplace pension, you think you're okay, you know how much you're putting you know, into your pension every month. I think the next step is actually you know, opening this pension box and starting to look at you know, what's inside, how much, you know, what are the fees, am I in a default fund? Um, can you talk a little bit about how you guide your clients towards you know, looking at what's in their pension just to make maybe better choices or, or at least know, you know what's in there and, and, and should you change actually how your money is invested? So I think the first thing is to remember that you are a customer or a client of that pension. It doesn't sound like that often. No. But okay. They need to serve you. Um, and so if you ring up and, and they're not helpful, you don't get the right person, put the phone down and ring up again and demand that you are looked after properly. So that's the first thing. Get the positioning right. They're there for you. And then, and then next week, I think it's the first job I would ring up and say, what investment am I in? What's the name of it? Can you email me the key fact sheet? And can you send me a list of all the investments that I could possibly be in? And, and that, that they should be able to email that to you. It shouldn't be a big task. Um, and then you can use a website, for example, something like trustnet.com and put in the name of the investment that you're in. And on Trustnet, there's so much information on there. But the thing you want to really look at is this graph. There's a, there's a graph with two lines on it. One of it's you, one of them's you, and one of them's the average. And so quick acid test is, am I above average or am I below average? It doesn't necessarily mean if you're below average, you need to jump ship and freak out, but it gives you an idea of where you are. It's a feeler of whether you need to change or not. And if you have your personal pension, how do you get started? So for me, you know, we talked, 
briefly about you know the robot advisors, the platforms, and maybe some ready-made portfolios. Also, some platforms offer that. Do you think it's um, you know a good way to get started because it can be a bit overwhelming to go and pick your own fund. So. I know you could spend two hours on talking about how to start investing, but, you know, maybe just a, f- a few pointers for, for women. And then, you know, you can join a workshop, you can like, listen to longer podcasts, read our books, but just today, like a few, you may be closing remarks around investing. I think you've got two decisions. It's where are you going to buy your investments? So which is going to be the platform? And there are comparison tools out there to help you. And then the next one is, are you going, what risk are you going to take? And generally, the higher the risk you take, the better the returns over the medium to long term. So if you've got a long time to go until retirement, then take as much risk as you feel comfortable with. And at the beginning, if you haven't done it before and you don't know what to do, just let them do it for you. They are the professionals. I know a lot of women that get in touch with me. The reason they don't invest is because they want to know the whole picture before they do it. So there is an element of taking a leap of faith into these companies to do it for you. But maybe you could say, right, for the first year, I'm just going to get stuck in and let them do it. And on the side, I'm going to do like a fantasy football league of investments where I'm seeing, can I actually do this myself and seeing what I learn? There's not going to be a downside because you're not going to lose any money because it is a fantasy. And then in a year's time, maybe set it in a diary to say, well, maybe I'm going to, I'm going to do half, they're going to do half. But do you know, I look after some really, really wealthy individuals who are city professionals, even fund managers themselves. And I would be reluctant to let them do it themselves because usually in your own time, you don't have as much time as, and, and you're more emotionally invested. So unless you're really good at it, just let the pros do it. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and also like when we look at all the recent research around women investors, women make great investors. And one of the reasons is, of course, you know, researching your investments and stuff, but it's not over trading and not letting your emotions take over because it can be, I mean, it's very exciting, but it can be also a bit stressful. Lisa, do you have a last word for women uh, investors and, and, and women who are thinking about pensions, maybe a bit worried about starting too late or, you know, should I start? Should I not? Is it the right time? <laughs> so to help them really get started today. It's never too late because anything you can do will improve your situation. So it's never too late. And I think it's a, it's about what you alluded to, that when we do it, we're brilliant at it. So just do it. Lisa, thank you uh, so much. Can you tell me uh, what, you know, what you're working on? Uh, you, you're obviously like advising um, high net worth uh, clients, but where, where can, it, can we find you and how can we work with you? Yeah, so I, I'm, by day, I'm a financial advisor for a company called Westminster Wealth. And then on the side, I'm really, really passionate about making sure that anybody, no matter how much money they've got, can get a financial education. So I've been blogging and writing about money for about 10 years as Miss Lolly. So you can find me on Instagram as Miss Lolly Money. And then recently I've set up the Ladies Finance Club, which is it's just a place to get some information so that you can start learning. It's a great place and people should also read your book and you can find all the links in the show notes. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. And uh, can't wait to have another money chat with you. Speak soon. Thank you so much for listening to the hotline in the wallet today. Please share with a friend and subscribe or leave a review on Apple podcast. Also, don't forget to send me your proud money moments, questions and comments via hotline at emily at Speak to you next week.